Matthew chapter 6. Please turn there. We want to welcome those that are watching online. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, and last week we began where Jesus is dressing what we often call religious activities. Last week we talked about doing good or almsgiving, and when I reviewed what I said last week, I should have made it more clear about the connection between the two stories. The two stories illustrated that these people chose to do good for the sake of doing good, not for publicity, not look at me, and their choices came at huge personal sacrifice, both financial and risk of reputation, and in the one case is risk for life. Now, if you're curious what two stories I'm talking about, go back and listen last week, and you'll see those in place for that time. So I just want that clarification because... I kind of said, whoops, I should have made a stronger connection. I didn't. This week we're talking about prayer. Now, I hope we realize that none of us can understand exactly how prayer functions in the infinite mind of God. So we are at a disadvantage. While we're told to pray, we cannot quite figure out how it operates and works in God's sovereignty and God's plan in this entire universe in which he has placed us. Having said that as a disclaimer, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. We want to read verses 5 through 13. And if you don't have your Bibles, the scripture will be on the screen. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And let's pray this together. We know it is the Lord's Prayer. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you look at the Gospels in Luke, just prior to this Lord's Prayer, it's where the disciples asked the Lord in Luke 11.1, Lord, teach us to pray. My first lesson this morning, I want to use a quote to illustrate it. It comes from Tim Keller. Here's what he says. We must learn to pray. We have to. And when you realize the disciples ask that question, Lord, teach us to pray, you realize that according to the tradition, they were already praying three times a day as they were taught by their parents and by their grandparents and by their religious leaders of the day. So prayer wasn't obsolete. They understood it. But Jesus was doing something very differently that they said, Lord, teach us to pray like that. And if Jesus comes along and says, pray like this, then we have to understand that we must learn to pray. We have to. Now, realizing that we live in our humanity, 
like most things that God tells us and instructs us and guides us, we make a mess out of what God gives us. Amen? (laughs) And so what we often do with prayer is we institutionalize it. Here's how you have to do this. And when you have to do this, we measure people's spirituality based on their attendance and participation in a particular event that we have deemed righteous. Now, Jewish culture had that because three times a day, they would pray. At specific times, no matter where they were, they would have to stop, turn towards Jerusalem, and pray. Now, what Jesus was talking about here was there were some religious leaders that said, okay, let me see. 12 o'clock, we got to pray. Let's make sure that we are at a location that has the largest crowd so people can watch us. Now, what I find fascinating as well is that prayer seems to be a basic instinct in humanity. Prayer is just not exclusive to Christianity. Look at the Muslim culture. They pray five times a day. So what often happens when we make a mess out of this is we get caught up in either-or controversies. Some people say, well, it says we're not supposed to use repeated phrases, so let's throw out written prayers. We're called not to repeat. It has to be from the heart. they got to be spontaneous. And in doing so, we lose sight of the core issues, and we throw out some really good things because of extremes taken by others. For instance, today we have a whole movement of spirituality, and they use certain kind of language related to prayer that is kind of way to the one side. But when we sit there and say, well, we shouldn't use those words, we lose the reality that there's some really good stuff there. Now, I'm sure you heard things like this, centering prayers, contemplative prayers, listening prayers. And there are dangerous currents and abuses in this whole spirituality movement. But let me say this. We miss out on some good things because we live out of fear. That we don't want to be associated with that. Think about listening. Prayers. Are we called just to speak to God and not listen? Absolutely not. In fact, you realize that sometimes we're talking so much we can't listen. God can't get a word in eggs wise. I remember one year, I spent an entire year as part of my prayers, a same passage of scripture, there's three verses, and I prayed that every single day. Now, if you look at the text, some people say, well, you, you shouldn't have repeated the phrases, but it was scripture. And it was something that I wanted to work on. And it's very interesting when you take a passage of scripture and pray it every single day for an entire year, three, 365 days, what it does. Now, I would call that a centering prayer because it centered my thoughts on God for that day. It centered my heart on what I needed to do. I was called the blast. So we need to be careful with our language. You know, the psalmist says, psalmist says this, creating me a clean heart and see if there be anything in me. That's reflection, isn't it? That's examination. That's listening. And again, when you think about this, we are called to listen to God, aren't we? We are called to examine our own lives. We're called to reflect and allow God's spirit and his word to interact with how we live. 
Here's what we fail to understand. If prayer is that important, one of the key strategies of Satan will be take it, twist it, do anything to get us not to pray. But there are things that we have to keep present in our minds and our hearts. Paul writes these words in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Have you ever noticed that we are afraid of the things we should not be afraid of and we're not afraid of the things that we should be? (laughs) That's a great description of our culture, isn't it? But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons whom we cry. You can put the word pray there. Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Three things here. God assures us of his love. We're adopted sons. We have complete trust, inheritance, the works. He's brought us into his family. And we cannot unadopt ourselves. He made the choice. Two. We can approach God. We can pray to God. And three, he communicates with us. Those are three beautiful things that he talks to us about prayer. Now, Jesus is not saying this. He's not saying either it is private or you shouldn't pray in public. Either it is spontaneous or not repeated written prayers. What he's trying to communicate this morning is it's about the relationship. So here's a principle I want you to think about. It's the principle of and both. I got this from a guy named Jim Collins. It's actually a business principle, but it's great when it relates to prayer. It is both private and public. It is both written and spontaneous. Christ is communicating it's a matter of our hearts. Public prayer that seeks the praise of people is one form of prayer. He says, don't do that. But there is public prayer that is holy before God because it comes from the heart. He says, do that in a corporate setting. The use of written prayers. There is some written prayers that seek to applaud people. But again, the same prayer that is written can be righteous before God. It's all a matter of the hearts. But see, we get weird. Amen? (laughs) And we start saying, well, you can't do that. Well, listen, you can do that. And you can't do it there or you can't be there and pray. But scripture says pray without ceasing. So prayer is where? Everywhere. Do it here and move it from. And so often we remove prayer from relationship to religion. And that's where it gets messy. Here's an illustration. Jesus tells this story. Luke 18. In verse 9, he says, he told this story or parable to some who, and listen to the description of their attitudes, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Do you note the correlation here? If we are self-righteous, if we're proud, if we think we have a corner in the truth, and no matter what area of life that is, that can be true in any area, we will look at other people very differently. With contempt. We won't like people that are different than us. And Christ says, listen, it's, it's a hard issue. So let me meddle a little bit. Think about your attitudes, and I'll think about my attitudes, and how we speak about other people who differ from us. 
Let me break it down to categories. Let's talk about politically. I will tell you, I heard an old boy down here. I have never seen such hostility among people who have opposing ideas. Think about economically. People who have more than you, or you're not content with what you have. And so often I hear people like, well, you know, those rich people, they didn't pay their fair share. What's in your heart towards them? Or what's in your heart towards people who are poor and don't have much? Religiously. I mentioned this before that I belong to a prayer group that has both Protestant and Catholic Christians in it. And of course, there's some people saying, wait a minute, you know, different different denominations, you can't pray together because we believe different things. You know, my one friend uh, who for years was a Catholic in name found Jesus. And he says, you know, so many of my friends in the Catholic church have no idea what a relationship with Christ is like and what it means. So I worship in the Catholic tradition to reach them. Is that a good definition of modern missions? So think about your attitudes. Because if we approach this topic with self-righteous attitudes, we will end up judging and condemning people rather than inviting people into the presence of God. Verse 10. Here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and another tax collector. So one was held as righteous by the world and one was held as unrighteous. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. He had to point out someone in the auditorium that he did not like. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And he's bragging to God about how good he is. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's the point. Prayer is a matter of the heart. You can have the right words. You can speak Christianese. You can have the right programs, but if the heart is not aligned, if you're proud, if you're condemning, it is not the kind of prayer that honors God. So, it's and both. It's really what is meaningful to you and to God. It's, it's how you communicate on a daily basis. And so some people like written prayers, some people don't. That's Okay. It's not either or, it's and both. And as diverse as we are, our prayer lives are going to be that diverse. So let's go to what we often call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer begins with God's interests, not yours. Amen? How do you start your prayer? It's his name, it's his kingdom, it's his will. 
I mean, that's what he's talking about here, those three things. It begins with his interests, not yours. And we have to be careful in our prayer life that we do not unintentionally dishonor his name and unintentionally delay his kingdom and unintentionally disturb his will. And I use the word unintentionally because, well, let's use this illustration. Think about the movement and missions today. There's a lot of books out, and one's called When Helping Hurts. And what we're discovering is all these short-term mission trips we do, and sometimes sending missionaries to places. We go to places with very good intentions, but we end up hurting the cause rather than helping them find Jesus. And, you know, we've seen this before. You know, foreign missions several decades ago used to go into countries, build compounds, that resembled the American home. And when we converted people, we made them dress like us, act like us, sing our songs. Then along comes Hudson Taylor, and what's he do? He revolutionized his mission saying, listen, it's not about the outward dress, it's about the heart. We have to maintain the message of Jesus Christ and him alone, but let's change our methods. It's okay in China for a Chinese Christian to look Chinese. But you know, a long time ago we said, no, 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 no. They accept Christ. They got to look like us because do you see the pride in that? We have, we evidently had a corner on the truth about how a Christian ought to dress. Why is this so important? Two reasons. When we begin with God, it reorders our loves. The main problem with our hearts today is we've misaligned our loves. We give our hearts to things that enslave us. We call them idols. And number two, we learn to pray with great expectation. I can usually tell by the way a person prays whether they begin with God or not because when you begin with God you see the world through the eyes of God and you have great expectation about what he will do and what he is doing and what he's going to do amen if you begin with yourself you see the world through the eyes of our humanity and we lose hope we humanize our saviors and our human saviors always disappoint us they always disappoint us so Prayer begins with God's interests, not ours. Number two, give us this day our daily bread. God is concerned with our needs. Now, how we mess this up is we divorce our needs from his name, his kingdom, his will. (laughs) That's what we do. We, We look at our needs from our perspective, not his perspective. That's why James writes these words in James chapter four. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You start with yourself. You desire and do not have. You start with yourself. You murder. You covet. You cannot obtain. You start with yourself. So you fight and quarrel. You start with yourself. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Because you start with yourself. You spend it on your passions. And so often in the church, we develop prayer life that suits us rather than to see God. And so we attempt to micromanage our spirituality. And we attempt to micromanage our churches. I shouldn't say it's our church, it's his church. 
And so we get all these divisions and fights because this is the way that we want it. As I was studying this past week, I found it fascinating. And an author said this, and so I kind of investigated, and I believe he's right. He said that in Paul's prayers, whenever you listen to them, there is not an appeal for the changing of circumstances. He doesn't do that. I mean, he's writing to slaves. He's writing to people in prison. He's writing people that are being martyred and died for Christ. He never prays to change their circumstances. Rather, he prays for the most important thing that God could give them. To know him better. That's God. And this is more critical than a change of our circumstances. But how many times do we pray for a change of our circumstances rather than a change in our knowledge and how we see God? So later, he talks about how we don't ask right. He tells us how to act right in James. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? And we often attribute that to physical suffering, but there is emotional, there's spiritual. There's all kinds of suffering that we go through. Sometimes it's, it's other people's hands. Sometimes it's their own sin. Doesn't matter. Let them pray. If anyone's cheerful, let them sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, you notice what he says here? Because we think about sickness as physical, right? But there's people that are sick spiritually. And we don't think about praying that way. But he equates the sin and the forgiveness there. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray to one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is great power as it is working. And again, we make a mess out of this rather than just doing what it says. We sit there and say things like this. Well, you know, if you're sick and you pray and you aren't getting better, then what sin is keeping you from getting better? That's not what this is saying. But we just distort what scripture often says. Now, here's the cool part. There are times and seasons where the needs are so overwhelming. And by needs, again, we're talking about, you know, his name, his kingdom, his will. But we have, and many of you know what I'm talking about. You face times and you face darkness and you face valleys of the shadow of death that when you try to pray, you have no words. Listen to what Romans 8 says, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. Ever been there? I think most of us have. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what it is What is the mind of the spirit? Because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There we go back again. It's his name. It's his kingdom. It's his will. Now, again, we get all weird about this and we start saying, well, what does it mean to pray in the spirit? And we start putting on human expectations. Don't do that. Here's what God is saying. Listen. When things are so bad that you no longer have words to speak to me, I got you. 
That's all that says. I got you. Now what's fascinating is the verse that we often quote but we take out of context is the next one. And we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's not the circumstances. It's the relationship. Now so often we look at needs and again we look from a human standpoint and we fail to realize that God spells out three needs in this prayer. Did you catch them? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Three needs. Forgiveness. We are in need of being forgiven, but also forgiving. Now, this is so important in prayer life that next week he does a caveat. And we're going to talk about that next week. And it's critical, critical to our growing in Christ. Two, guidance. Lead us not into temptation. And, and simply what he's saying is this. He will not lead us to places we should not go. We do ourselves and other people do. And we blame God for it. But he will not lead us to places we should not go. But it also says this. He will lead us to places that we would not go. We often talk about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness for 40 days. And there's a verse that disturbs me every time I read it. It precedes that in Luke 4, verse 1. Listen to what it says. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returning from Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. I don't like being led to the wilderness for 40 days of temptation and trial and testing. Amen? (laughs) But there it is. He's full of the Holy Spirit, and God led him to a place that he would not necessarily go to. Three needs, forgiveness, guidance, and protection. We talk a lot about spiritual warfare. We talk a lot about, you know, being community-based. But realize that first and foremost, God who is at center needs to be at center. So our three needs he talks about, forgiveness, guidance, protection. Somehow we should include that into our prayer life. Now I want to ask one last question. And give one last principle with that question. Here it is. Who do we listen to? Who do we listen to? I know we think of prayer as God talking. Us talking to God, but not about God talking to us. You know, sometimes we need to discipline silence. We just need to shut up long enough to hear him. But in our culture, we are very uncomfortable and very impatient with silence. Yet, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, I already said this, he says, pray without ceasing. So we understand that, that prayer is just not something we do, it's an attitude. It's not something we just do at a particular time, but we need to have the sense of moving beyond our scheduled times of prayer and to breathe it, to see, to listen, to respond. Not to react, but to respond. And you know what we call this? We call it obeying the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's when we're so in tune that every situation, every circumstance, and I love the little story of Nehemiah where he's praying over here in a regularly scheduled way and he gets a call from the king and as he's walking in, it says, and I prayed to God. (laughs) 
I mean, he's praying as he's walking through the door into the king's presence. We are called in our prayer to carry out his wishes and his desires. And our prayer life should reflect that. Now, in our world we live, we all think we know more than we really do. Amen? Amen. We don't like to admit that, but we do. I was reminded of this again the other week. There's multiple sides to every story when I got to sit face to face with someone. It often changes the truth as we know it. It doesn't alter the facts. It alters the content behind the facts. In prayer, okay? In prayer, in part, it's listening to God's side of our story. Do I need to say that again? When you think about prayer, in part, it is listening to God's side of our story. We have to listen to what it means to be in Christ in our world. There's so many lies out there that are telling us things that are not true. Now think about church world, GBC. I'm going to give you some startling facts you probably have not heard of, okay? Number one, there's a lot of opinions and preferences here. Amen? We got opinions and preferences about music, about translations of scripture, about preaching styles. We got opinions and preferences about people around us. Incredible diversity. Now, what that means is, I know this might be hard to take, it might be hard to admit, but there will be some people that you do not necessarily like very well. (laughs) I don't need any amens on that one, okay? Now, you notice scripture never tells us that we are to like people. It tells us that we are to love people, even when people do not like us. But see, in the one realm, we... We get all emotional about people who disagree with us. And, you know, it's time to get over that. And it's time to get over that GBC is not about an hour on Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle that's lived 24-7. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's why one of the prayers of Scripture is the prayer for unity. God knows how he made us. And we have passions and we are driven. And sometimes people have different passions than us and we get all weird about it, get all proud about it and say, well, you got to be like me. And if you're not like me, I'm not going to like you. It's okay for them to have passions that are different than yours. Amen? Amen. So this prayer for unity. We're going to pray it. John 17 verses 20 through 23. It's going to be on the screen. I know it's a written prayer. But since Jesus wrote it, I think it's okay. Can you see I'm getting sarcastic about some of this stuff? I got to tell you, part of my journey, uh, I used to never use written prayers at all. I always thought they were silly and stupid and dumb. And about 15 years ago, I got introduced to some ancient prayers. and, And I found some, what's the word? Some depth that I never had before. Um, even though they're written to pray them over and over again, just, I guess I'm thick in the head and I need to get things through, I don't know. This is one of them. This is something I think that should be in every person's prayer list at least once a week. Let's pray together. I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 
so that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and I have given them the glory that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be brought to perfection as one, that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them even as you love me. If you have a passion for the lost, that prayer ought to be there. Why? Because if we have unity, the world's convinced. That's what it says. I'm going to call the worship team up. We're going to close uh, with several songs. But here's the difference that our prayer life is compared to all other prayers around the world. We pray according to his design, his timing, his power. And we pray with high expectations that God will be among us and God will transform lives through Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, may these words sink in our minds and our hearts. I pray that you speak to us through your spirit. I pray that as we Use our words. We take time off from our words and we allow you to speak to us. And then we listen. And if we're worried about what we hear, we confirm that with your word. We confirm that with the body. That's why we're here because we help each other navigate this. And if, if there's any voices that are speaking lies to us, we allow people around us to help us navigate those lies. We know, Lord, the problem's not with you, it's with us. And forgive us for that. But we end with the words that your disciples ask you, teach us to pray. In the name of your son, we pray these things. And everyone said, amen.